If you have a Bible, open to the book of John. We're going to be in John chapter 10. Uh, That's the passage that was read to us just a little while. And while you're turning there, uh, just one thing to put kind of on your radar, and that is April 25th. We're going to have a picnic. Um, We figured it's hot enough by then. Uh, So we're going to do a picnic after the 930 and after the 11 o'clock service. So we've got inflatables and games for the kids. Uh, We're going to be cooking out for you guys. Uh, It's all on us. This is just a chance for us to just come together and uh, just hang out and spend some time together. And so if you've got friends, neighbors that you've been waiting for uh, a chance to invite them, this would be a great Sunday for that. And this is just a great uh, day for us. So that's, that is uh, April 25th, after the 9.30, after the 11 o'clock service, we're going to have a picnic on the lawn. Should be great. So John chapter 10. And one of the reasons that we are studying John as a church is because there's all kinds of voices in the world that try to tell us who Jesus is and what he's all about. There's all kinds of opinions about Jesus. Like, well, he was a really good teacher or he was a, he was a good man. He was a social activist or he was a revolutionary. Uh, and then a lot of times we just have an idea of what we like and what we prefer. And then we try to kind of dress Jesus up in that and just like what we prefer, what we think that he should be all about. But we want to actually hear from Jesus on who he is. In John's gospel, uh, account of the life of Jesus lets us hear from Jesus himself on who he is and what he's up to in the world. So that's why we as a church, all of our 10 redemption congregations, we're all working through this book together because we want to hear from Jesus who he is. And in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Jesus, once again, he continues to put out this life or death decision uh, that we have to make about him. Uh, and, And the prayer as we're working through this this morning uh, is not that my voice would be the voice that convinces you, um, but that you might in this time and in our time together uh, might actually hear the voice of God and that it would change you. And that's not a small thing that to me that feels like a massive deal this morning, that the voice of God would actually be heard by you and that it would transform you and change you. So let's pray and ask God just to do that. Father, we love you, and God, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. And God, I thank you for what has already been spoken about you from your word, and God, what has already been sung about you. And God, just the testimony of how uh, your people can be your hands and feet, and that gives testimony to who you are. And uh, God, how we as a church are just a simple, uh, small Uh, reflection of your great love and your great kindness to the world. And so, God, now that as we open your word, uh, we want to hear from you about you um, and what you have for us. And God, that uh, does not depend on me or my uh, ability. God, that happens only by your spirit. So, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would uh, would Would you fill me up? Would you fill this this space? God, would you just overflow um, in this time? I want to invite you, if you're in the room or if you're watching online, that you might just pray that simple prayer. God, I want to hear your voice this morning. And so would you just pray that? God, I want to hear your voice. God, help us this morning. Uh, Cut out distractions. Cut out the noise. Let us hear clearly from you. Change us, God, by the power of your spirit uh, 
for the fame of your name, Jesus. We pray, amen. Now, in John, uh, there are seven I am statements uh, where Jesus is tethering himself to the Old Testament story, um, but he's also describing who he is for us and what he means for us. And he's going to say things, and we've gone through some of these things. He's going to say things like, I am the bread of life, or I am the light of the world. And in this passage this morning, it's extra strange because he's talking about sheep and shepherds. And the metaphor that he's using is actually pretty extensive. Extensive throughout the scriptures. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, the prophet says this, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. In Ezekiel chapter 34, and this is kind of the main passage that's behind what Jesus is doing in John 10, the main kind of Old Testament passage, he says this, for this is what the sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries. I will bring them into their own land, and I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. They will lie down in good grazing land, and they will, there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. The sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. And finally, Jeremiah 31 Hear the word of the Lord, you nations. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. He who scattered Israel will gather them and will watch over his flock like a shepherd. So this metaphor of sheep and shepherd is really all throughout the Old Testament. God says, I'm the good shepherd and my people are like this flock of sheep. What Jesus is doing in particular in the passage we're going to look at this morning is he's saying, look, these other religious leaders that are around, and remember the context that we've been kind of working through as Jesus is teaching, there are these other religious leaders, these Pharisees are around. He's saying these religious leaders are fleecing you, meaning they're taking advantage of you. He's saying, I'm a good shepherd and I care and I protect you. And so when Jesus, and we're going to look at this in just a second, when he says, I'm the gate, I'm the good shepherd, anyone who had any kind of awareness of the Old Testament story, and many of those listening and many of those reading would, they'd recognize that Jesus is making a claim here. And he's picking up on the story of the Hebrew scriptures, and he's saying, it's fulfilled in me. Look at verse 1 of chapter 10. He says this, very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they'll never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. Now, this is a direct shot across the bow at the Pharisees who are standing there. He's saying a thief sneaks in to steal with, through deception. A robber is someone who uses force and intimidation to get what they want. But Jesus is the shepherd who doesn't deceive, he doesn't bully, but he comes in kindness and he comes in clarity about who he is and what he's about. And, he, and he's teaching us to follow the person who comes through the gate, 
and who has no other agenda, no other message, no other theme, no other emphasis than Jesus and what Jesus has done and what he said and what he says, what he did, what he does, and what he will do. And the thieves here that Jesus is talking about are these religious leaders who have agendas and causes that they push that are more important to them than the person of Jesus Christ. He's talking, he's saying, watch out for any voice that draws people away from God, any voice that inflicts harm on people. A lot of time we talk about wolves in sheep's clothing, but Jesus is talking about wolves in shepherd's clothing here. And he says, my sheep, my people, they don't listen to that voice. Because my sheep, my people, they, they run for it. They run from it. They, they don't know it. Have you ever been um, around uh, farm animals um, and you make the noises that they make? Like, you just can't help it. Like, you're next to a cow and you're like, moo. We didn't rehearse that. We probably should have. I told my wife, I said, I'm going to make animal noise. She's like, please don't. Just don't do that. You shouldn't do that. When you're around these animals and you do that, do they ever just say, oh, I'm going to follow them? You go to Schnepp Farms, you jump in with the sheep and the goats, and you're like, bah, and then all of a sudden they're following you around Schnepp Farms all day. No, they don't do that because they don't know you. That's not the voice that they know. That's not the sound that they know. But those who know the voice of Jesus follow him, and they do what he would do in the world, and they tell others the truth about him to know Christ and to make him known. The blind man that we looked at in chapter 9 is a perfect example of what this is. I'm just telling you the truth of what Jesus did in my life. And this is who he is. And if you want to find him, you should go find him. You see, real shepherds lead in love in a way that humbly reflects how they owe everything to the great shepherd. And when they speak, they speak his language of love for God and love for neighbor. And so faithful shepherding is where we teach and preach Jesus consistently and faithfully to attract and protect and free and send out and feed and lead people of God into a life of authenticity or reality with Jesus and satisfaction that's found in him. And the priority in John chapter 10 is love for Christ that leads to posterity of love for people. That's the theology, that's the ethic behind what John is doing here. Augustine would say it this way, we enter by the gate because we preach Christ And then the good shepherd preaches himself. And if you're wondering why all of this is significant, why is Jesus taking the time to do that? What's the point of what he's saying? He he makes it an even finer point. Look at verse 7, because he's going to really even make it more clear. He says, very truly, I tell you, I'm the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So Jesus is using this analogy of the sheep, which may be kind of an air ball on us, but it In this context, everyone who's listening to it understood this because they're in this agrarian culture. It's way more prevalent at that time, that part of the world. So it would make much more sense to them than it does to us in our context. And it's even possible that as he's teaching, there's there's sheep and there's shepherds around. They'd be in proximity to where he's teaching. There'd be sheep everywhere and shepherds everywhere. Uh, and, And so the people were immediately in the moment. And in this context, in John 10, he's referring to people as sheep of God. He's saying, look, I have sheep. 
I have this flock, I have this family, and my sheep, uh, they, they act a certain way, they live a certain way. And then in verse 7, he's saying, I'm, I'm the gate. And, and what he's painting this picture of is, is a pen of sheep. What we need to understand is that in the daytime, uh, the sheep would all be out in the wilderness, and a, and a good shepherd would try to find the best pasture that they could for the sheep. But at, but at night, all the shepherds would bring all of their sheep together uh, to a common area, to a common pen, and they would build this spot where they'd all come together tonight because they didn't want their flock just to be out in the open because it would be very difficult to defend the sheep uh, out in the open against things like wolves and bears or a lion at night. So the shepherds, they come to the central gathering place and all the shepherds would put their, their sheep in a common pen and they would have these kind of rock walls that they would build out for a border and then there would be an open spot uh, where the gatekeeper, which were the shepherds, would actually lay down and they, they, would, they would position themselves so that they would lay down in this opening and so the sheep wouldn't try to get over the top of the shepherds uh, and in the the idea is that it would keep predators out unless uh, one of the predators would try to get over the top of this rock wall that they would a lot of times put thorns or different things uh, to keep predators out. So, uh, And if the shepherd wasn't there, if the shepherd wasn't doing his job kind of laying in that spot, laying in that get, the sheep would just go out and get murdered. So, and then in the morning, the shepherds would all get up and they, and they would call out their flock and they would uh, have a unique voice or sometimes they'd even have like a, a reed flute and they would have a specific unique to their flock tone uh, or voice uh, and, and that would lead their particular sheep out to that shepherd. So that's the picture that Jesus is really playing out here in the, in the sermon. And he's using this analogy and he's saying, look, the gateway for the sheep or the gate is me. He comes out and he clearly defines himself. He's like, there is a way in and out of the presence of God. There's a gate to the presence of God and a relationship with God. And it's me. He's saying, look, there's all kinds of religious stuff out there. There's all kinds of different ideas out there. There's all kinds of ways that people talk about a life with God out there. There's all kinds of moral codes on what you should do or what you shouldn't do and how you should behave in the world. And he said all of that has really given people the wrong idea about who God is. They kind of have this picture like he's just a mean boss or like a really bad parole officer. And so then the, the, the way that people begin to understand God is that, well, he's actually trying to keep me from abundant life. He's trying to keep me from all the great things that life has to offer. And we have this idea that uh, God's key job and focus is to keep us from what would be enjoyable in life. And if you would have spent any time with the religious leaders of Jesus of the day, you'd get the same impression because most of them went around spending their time telling everybody how messed up they were and how they were breaking the law. In fact, Jesus, at one point, he would look at these Pharisees. He'd look at these religious leaders. He's like, look, you are burdening people. You tie up burdens on the backs of people, and you don't lift a finger to help them. In fact, you can't even carry the things that you're telling these people to carry. And so when Jesus says, I'm, I am not a thief, it's not a small thing. He's saying, look, the thief takes things. He steals. He destroys. Jesus says, that's not what I'm about. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm here to give abundant life. Look what he says in verse 9, chapter 10. He says this. He says, I'm the gate 
Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to still kill and destroy. I've come, they may have life and have it to the full. When he says he's the gate, he's talking about just one way. And this is where a lot of people will get hung up with Christianity. And maybe you here this morning or listening online, this is like where you get hung up with Jesus and you get hung up with Christianity because Jesus is using some pretty exclusive language here. And we live in a culture that really desires way more openness than this, way more free thought about ways to access life with God. But Jesus stands up and he's like, no, it's me. One way, one gate. There is no other gate. There is no other way. And if that's too narrow for you, I just want to, I just want to, kindly challenge you to open your thinking, because that's what you think that people like me should do. I should open my thinking. But I'm going to just kind of kindly challenge you that you would open your thinking and search the gates and see if at the end of your search, you still think all the gates are the same. And, and, And if you think all the ways are the same, and you think all the offers are the same, and all the pastures are the same, Because there's no way. You could search out every symbol on the coexist bumper sticker and you would find out and come to the conclusion it's not all the same. Now listen, I'm not saying we can't get along. The Bible says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If you think, well, they're the enemy. Okay, Jesus has good news about that. Love them. But we have to tell the truth about our differences. Let's get along, but let's not say it's all the same. You can read into this truth of only being one gate in the negative. Like, you can read that and say, that's so narrow, that's so exclusive. One way, really? Or, or, you can read it this way. Jesus puts on skin, God in a human body, comes with us, has a, God is with us, and comes to planet Earth to say, I want everyone to know there's a pasture, there's relationship with God, there's abundant life, there's salvation, and I'm the way to that. Jesus is saying, look, you do not have to spend your whole life wondering how do I access these things? How do I get salvation? How do I get abundant life? How do I get that pasture? How do I get relationship with God? Jesus is saying, listen, you don't have to go through your whole life trying every gate. You don't have to go through your whole life wondering. He shows up on the scene to say, it's me. I am the gate. And it is narrow in the sense that there is only one gate. But the beautiful thing is that Jesus is telling us what the gate is. And so you don't have to try all the other doors. You don't have to try all the other doors and just hope, ah, at the end of the day, I just hope I pick the right one. I'm going to hold my breath, hope I pick the right door. Jesus says, you don't have to go through your life like that. You can know what is the way, the gate. What's so great here is that Jesus himself is putting himself on display in this text. It's beautiful. He, he believes that in loyalty and allegiance to him and to his teaching that men and women will find out what life is all about and experience in daily life the authenticity of people being who they are, be, are made to be. And he says, look, there's a voice. And it's my voice or it's the voice of the thief. And only one of these voices will lead you to life. And he's telling us, he's like, look, the thief, and when he's talking about it here, now he's he's in the singular, so he's talking about Satan. And he's saying, like, this thief has a very simple business plan, a very clear strategy. If you went to his LinkedIn profile, it would say one thing. He comes only to steal and to kill 
and destroy. The thief has one agenda, one plan, one strategy, one outcome, steal, kill, and destroy. And Jesus is trying to clear up the misunderstanding about him. He says, listen, I want you to know what my intentions are to give you life abundantly. He's offering way more in quantity of life and quality of life. Jesus is saying, I've come to offer more. In the Greek language, this abundant life, it's, it's parisos. It's over and above, more than necessary, super added to, much more, all that. Everything more excellent. That's the type of life that Jesus offers to his sheep. And the lie of the enemy, the lie of the thief is that with God, you get way less. It's the first thing out of his mouth. God's holding out on you. And the thing about us is that we fall for it all the time. Because we don't want to miss out on what the world presents to us as life. We don't want to miss out. We see it. It's on our screens. It's in, it's in front of us all the time. I don't want to miss out on that. And so we cut corners. We compromise in our work. We compromise in our values. We compromise in our relationship. We overwork. We overspend. We overeat. We overdrink. We overstress because we don't want to miss out on what the thief is presenting to us. We fill our lives with little bits of garbage. When I was a kid, I don't know if it's still like this. I probably should know if it's like this because I have kids. But when I was a kid, there was like this some kind of weird thing going on around Halloween where people were like sliding razor blades into candy. I don't know if that's still a thing. Um, and so there was a big deal. There would be like, okay, so uh, if, you, if, you, if you get candy, make sure it's in a wrapper, which seems obvious. Make sure it's in a wrapper and make sure your parents cut every single piece of candy so that there's no like razor blade in there. Uh, my parents just didn't take us trick-or-treating because it was the devil's holiday anyway, so we didn't go. So I never had to worry about this. I was never swallowing a razor blade because I was always at the Harvest Festival dressed as uh, Joseph in the coat of many colors. So... No razor blades for me. Um, but listen, but listen, that's what, that's what it's like for us. God says, I have, I have my words for you, which fill and satisfy. And we said, no, I want to eat that which eviscerates me from the inside out. I know there's bread. I know there's bread of life. And I know, God, you're offering a banquet, but I want to fill myself with this junk over here. And what God is saying, listen, if you follow me, I want to put in you a hunger for that which will truly satisfy you, which is me. And, and Jesus is talking about something that we all know if we're just honest, that, that we all need a shepherd because left alone, we will run ourselves into eventual ruin. The good shepherd will lead us into abundant life because sheep are helpless in the wild. You see wild horses, you see wild dogs. There's no such thing as wild sheep. They're actually endangered or been wiped out. If, if, you, if, you, if you have uh, horses that run in the wild, there's, there's, a, there's a rancher, um, but without, without a shepherd, the sheep will die. Sheep don't even know what to eat. They will eat things that are poisonous for themselves if, if, if they're left to their own devices. Uh, they can't defend themselves. They get lost. They die. And the Bible compares us to sheep, which many of you might think is offensive, right? 
We don't like that. But if I am just personally honest about myself, I can look back at my life and I said, the moments where I led myself actually turned out to be a disaster. So I can understand this. I was thinking about this in terms of, of quarantine, and quarantine was indeed a, a, a drag, but at, in many ways, um, that moment was, was, was kind of a, a gift. Um, we had more time with our families, and you're like, okay, talk about the gift part, right? Um, <laughs> we had time to work on our, our personal goals, right? So there were some things that were like, I've never really had time for that, and now quarantine kind of gives me time to work on my personal goals. We, we had time to learn something new, Right? So I've always wanted to learn how to play piano or guitar or, do, or learn a new language. We had time to actually do that. Um, but what did, what did most people do in quarantine with all this extra time that they had on their own to kind of lead themselves? You know what most people did? Drank. <laughs> According to Nielsen Research, 54% increase in national sales of alcohol for the week ending March 21, uh, 2020. Compared with a year before... Online alcohol sales increased 262%. I'm not making light of alcoholism. It's serious. It's tragic. I'm just trying to use that as one example of how we are not always the best at making decisions on how we should lead our lives. And what Jesus is saying here, listen, you're not missing anything with me. You're not missing out because I am over the top with giving you what you need and more. But we need, the, we need the power of the Spirit in our lives to be able to see this. You do and I do. Because the thief just doesn't show up and be like, hey, I'm here. I'm here to steal your life. I'm here to murder and destroy what is most important to you. I'm here to assassinate your character and your identity. And he will. He will take everything and leave you on empty. No, he comes to you and he presents a version of life that is custom tailored to lure you in because it's what he's been doing to people ever since there's been people. Jesus says, everyone who follows me is led to life. Everyone who follows the thief is destroyed. There is no exception to that rule. In, in verse 11, he calls himself, he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, in the Old Testament, the only person to refer to themselves as the good shepherd was God. So Jesus is really rattling some cages right now. And, and he's applying this to himself. Psalm 23, which is a fairly uh, famous passage of scripture. If you don't even know like, where that is in the Bible, you've probably heard this before. It says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. There he is. He's making us do something again. But he makes us to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. This is life with God. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. I want to make something real clear. Being a Christian does not mean you don't have dark valleys. The life of a Christian has dark, dark valleys. But when you're in them, you fear no evil. Because he is with you. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, the shepherd's glory was bound up in the vitality and the health of his sheep. So Jesus is saying, my honor as your shepherd is your flourishing and your joy. The thief is all about self-preservation. The good shepherd is about sheep preservation. 
And what sets Jesus apart is that he's willing to die for the sheep. He offers his life for them. You see, in the wilderness, the only thing that would stand between the sheep and the predators was the shepherd. And the grace of Jesus means that he's going to do that for you regardless of your past. He knows all your failures. He knows your rebellion. And he says, I am willing to die in your place. The thief will go to war against you. Jesus says, I go to war for you. And I'll win. Listen real quick. And we're just about done here. Jesus is zeroing in on who he is. If you're listening to this and you have like serious thoughts about who is this Jesus, I'm trying to understand. He's, he's trying to make it loud and clear. He is zeroing in on who he is. He's getting at the center of the center of who he is. The substitutionary atoning death is the apex gift of Jesus to the world. He laid down his life for the sheep by taking our sin and death upon himself. He voluntarily substituted his life for ours, becoming the one great sacrifice for all time. As John the Baptist would say, he's the Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world. And the cross of Christ did not just show the world the love of God or even just show the devil his defeat, but the cross of Jesus removed God's presence, removed from God's presence and from our conscience the deep sin of the world, making those who would believe at one. Atonement means at one meant with God. That's who he is. Look at verse 12. We're just about done here. He says this. He says, the hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus saying, look, I'm not a hired hand. I'm not an hourly employee. I'm not just here for the paycheck. I actually love you and care for you and I lay down my life for you. You ever been to a place uh, and you interacted with someone who's just, they're just there for the paycheck. Like they don't care about you or they don't care about what's going on. Like if you're going to like a restaurant and they just, they just take your order, but they don't care. It comes out wrong, they don't care. They, didn't, they weren't listening to you in the first place. Or if you go to a restaurant and you actually get to meet with the owner, like when I go to Liberty Market and Chef Dave walks out to my table, Hey, how is everything? How did everything come out all right? Does it look? Can I get you more of this? Can I do this? I go to Fire and Brimstone. My friend James comes out. Oh, man, how do you like the new recipe? How do you like this? There's like this deep care because the owner is there, and, he's, and he wants to make sure that everything is good. He wants to make sure that everything is right. Well, listen, Jesus owns the universe. He's the king of heaven who stepped down in the muck and the mire and the filth of our lives to lift us up and offer us life with him. He said, I'm not a hired hand. I'm not an hourly employee. I own it all, and I step into it for you to know me. Jesus laid down his own life willingly for his people. You and I needed a substitute. We needed a sacrifice, someone who could pay for the wrong of our lives, and Jesus says, I'll do that. We needed someone to take all the shame and all the guilt of our lives on his innocent life, and Jesus said, I'll do that. Verse 14. I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the, for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of the sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. And the reason my Father loves me is that I lay, my, lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. It says, this command I received from my 
father. He's using this familiarity language. He's using the language of family and intimacy. And he speaks a lot of times in terms like this with relationship with his, with his father. But here he's turning it towards his people. Where thieves are self-centered, Jesus is showing that he has love for the people. And he paints this beautiful picture in verse 16. He says, look, I, I, I have them. And he's talking about his sovereign plan, his sovereign power as salvation belongs to him. He says, I have them, even though they've not been brought to me yet. The other sheep are these other Jews and Gentiles around the world. This every tribe, this every tongue, this beautiful picture out of Revelation 7 where it says there's a vast crowd too great to count from every nation and every tribe and every tongue. And then there's a people in every language are standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. It's the, it's the Messiah that the prophet Isaiah talks about in chapter 42 and 49. Where he says he intends to reach beyond Israel to the whole wide world. Jesus is saying, look, I am a good shepherd to a worldwide flock. And as we're reading this today and we know how God's going to use the Apostle Paul, we're kind of like people who we know the end of the movie uh, when we're watching it with people who don't. When Gentiles would hear from the original Jewish church the message of the Good Shepherd, the result is the most important unity on the planet. And Jesus says in verse 17 that the Father loves me because he's not saying the cross is the means by which he earns the love of the Father. When Jesus is baptized before he's done one miracle, before he's done anything, the father says out loud over the heavenly PA system, this is my son, I love him, I'm proud of him, I'm pleased with him. This is what Jesus means in verse 17. He's saying, the father so loves his son and so loves his world that out of this deep double love, the father is thrilled that his son is willing to lay down his life for his world. The, the love of the father is directed towards the son because by him and by his voluntary death, the obedience upon which the salvation of man depends has been accomplished. John Calvin would say it this way, our salvation is dearer to the son than his own life. Here is a wonderful commendation, the Father's and Son's goodness to us, which should ravish our whole souls into admiration, that God not only extends to us the love that is due the only begotten, who is Jesus, but ascribes this love to us as the final cause. What an instance this is of God's love to man, that he loved his Son the more for loving us. In verse 18, Jesus is making a really strong point for himself. He says, I'm choosing to lay it down. No one can take it from me. So when it comes to Good Friday, like we just celebrated, don't freak out on my behalf. Don't freak out like the plan all fell apart. He says, the reason that there's Good Friday is because I'm the good shepherd. This Good Friday moment is all about showing you that I am the good shepherd. Because for you to go in and, and through the gate and out to good pastures requires payment. It requires the payment of an innocent, sinless life. And Jesus says, I'm going to do that for you. I will lay down my life for the sheep. I have the authority given to me by my father 
And I'm choosing to use that authority to love you with my life. You see, Jesus laying down his life for the sheep doesn't even end at the cross. Our hope and our joy in Jesus as the great shepherd is not found only in his ability to die. The final aspect of Jesus' uniqueness as the good shepherd is in his resurrection, which is the seal of God's approval of him of the good shepherd. And the gate doesn't open unless Jesus' death and resurrection becomes its hinges. The death and the resurrection of Jesus are the hinges that Jesus would say on, on which all the law and all the prophets and all the love God with all you got swing. And the gate is our way into fellowship with God and with his people. And he is also our way into the world of mission and vocation. Jesus is the way to God. He's the way to God's people and he's the way to the world. And so in John 10, the question, and we're going to continue this next week, that Jesus is asking is, who do you follow? When a new voice enters, the first question that you need to ask is, this voice leading me closer to the good shepherd? And we all follow, we all follow someone, but not everybody's worth following. So does who you follow, are they willing to give their life for you? Or do they come only to steal? They come only to destroy. They come only to kill. Jesus says, I want to give you life and life more abundant. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. God, thank you for um, not only calling yourself and identifying yourself as the gate and as the good shepherd, but God, you live up to it. You prove it with your, di- your death. You prove it at the cross. You prove it in the resurrection that you indeed are our good shepherd. And God, our confession this morning is that we are like sheep. Your word tells us we wander, we go astray. It's like the song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And if we're honest, um, we have all of that in us, even this week, maybe even this morning, God. And so I thank you for your voice, your voice that calls, your voice that beckons, your voice that leads to life. And God, I just pray that in these last few moments of us here together, God, that we would just be in tune to that voice, that we would listen, that we would come near. We love you. Amen.